Hello, sports fans. You're in the group chat, and we start with, did Romeo Cornell make the right decision to go for a two-point conversion at the end of the Texans game? I wouldn't have done it myself if I were the interim coach, but I don't mind him doing it because it was a chance to end the game right then and there and put the ball in the, in the in your best player's hands. It just didn't work out because the pass was tipped. So on a one and four football team, now one and five, really doesn't bother me at all. I would have done it. I, I think he made the right choice. I think it was, I think the Texans have an identity with Romeo Cornell and, and they're just going to be aggressive. And, and I also don't think that the defense would have would have stopped the Titans. I think the Titans would have got the two-point conversion and the result would have been the same. I think your best chance to win was what Romeo did. They scored two touchdowns on fourth down, so there is aggression. The The, the criticism of Bill O'Brien and George from uh, 100.3 The Bull, George Lindsay, said Bill O'Brien would have gotten criticized for that. I disagree. That's that's not really... I, I've, I, I've actually defended Bill at times when people have criticized him. Like the, it's not my job in 2018 against the Patriots. He was right. I mean, that was not his job. Now, he came across as, a, as an a-hole, but it was not his job. I think the criticism of Bill O'Brien in decisions like this, from my perspective, I'll point to two games, was... A lot of times he would be aggressive and then he would be extra conservative. So Kansas City last year, that's the game that comes to mind. You're up 21-0 and you decide on fourth and one that you're going to kick the field goal. And then minutes later, you decide you're going to fake a punt with Justin Reed. Then this year against Baltimore week two, you're at your own 30. It's three to nothing. It's fourth and one. You decide to go for it. And then in the fourth quarter of that same game with nine minutes left in a 13 point game in fourth and five, you decide to kick the field goal. I just don't think there was any method to Bill O'Brien's madness, but I like the aggression. I think with this raggedy ass defense, you have to try to end it with the offense. So I had no issue with it. In a very short amount of time, Romeo Cornell has built up a lot of cachet in these type of decisions, and he did so in that game and the previous week going through it forward on fourth and what was it four to finish off Jacksonville and then yes. earlier in the game the aggressive aggressiveness that he had and and thinking that Bill O'Brien would be in that position takes a you know metaphorical leap that Bill O'Brien would have ever even had the opportunity to be in those positions. Well, let's be very clear about things. If Bill O'Brien was the coach, it is more likely that it was 14 to three and he kicks a field goal down there instead of going for it earlier. Like Romeo did like that's not a position that Bill O'Brien would have been in because the team looks so terrible underneath him. But even if you want to take that, that, that philosophical leap and say, okay, well you would have killed Bill O'Brien for doing that. No, because that was the right decision. The only opportunity, opportunity that Tennessee was going to put their foot on the ball in regulation was if you go for two, you get it, they score, and then they have to kick it to you on an onside kick. Outside of that, the Texans never touched the football again. And the fact that they never touched the football again tells us everything we need to know about the decision-making and it being the right decision. Do we think that Bill O'Brien would have gone for it or kicked the field goal on the fourth and one that Romeo went for that led to the touchdown right before this two-point conversion. I think Bill would have kicked the field goal. Taking the four-point lead. Yeah, taking the four-point lead and, and yes. tried to defend the end zone. I think that's very, very possible. And also, I mean, the, the way that the offense has looked, I don't think that they would have even been in position to win this game. When Tennessee misses an extra point and they get a field goal blocked, you're basically playing with house money. And they miss a field goal, you, right? Yeah, yeah they, they, yeah, they missed a field goal. They had a field goal blocked. And I, I, I don't know if they missed the extra point or not. I, I, I don't recall. I know, I know they were struggling with the kick. But you're basically playing with house money. So you got to get in there. You got to try to dip out. To me, all also, the most interesting thing as far as even being in that position is 
I did not think that Bill O'Brien was a smart offensive guy. I did not think he was a smart offensive guy. But he has looked like the biggest dumbass in NFL history the last two weeks. How I mean, so? you, went, you went 16 games without scoring 30 points, and now all of a sudden you've scored 30 points in consecutive weeks? Like, I did, I, I, I did not think that it would look this different in, in a short amount of time, and it already does. And it, it, it's, it, it, I don't think he could have looked any worse than he has the last two weeks. To take it a step further, if you want to put up the argument, okay, well, the first week was Jacksonville, that's fine. Tennessee's one of the best teams in football yep. when it comes to efficiency on defense. They have the best turnover differential in football heading into this game. And you do that to them, not to mention the defense actually goes out there and plays just a tiny bit better from a turnover perspective because you force a couple of turnovers. You get Tennessee to throw their first, uh, their second interception of the season you also get a fumble like not only did the offense play better the defense played better in an area that he had emphasized and said for weeks well we got to coach better we got to coach better they look okay. like they are well it looks like they were coached better on, on that particular aspect and certainly on the offense and, and, and i mean the, the raiders put a 40 burger on the and i hate that line but i'm gonna use it anyways they put a 40 burger on the chiefs like the the ravens gave up 28 to the eagles yesterday so like yeah the offense should look good bill o'brien looks like an idiot like he, he looks like a total moron when it comes to the offense. And all of a sudden, Tim Kelly looks like some somebody that actually knows what the hell he's doing. Deshaun Watson looks comfortable. And, and, and it's kind of changed my mindset. And I think, I think Texans fans need to kind of look at this and, and, and maybe adjust their mindset as well when it comes to the next head coach because I think they need a defensive guy. I think this defense is stripped. And I think maybe you can bring in an offensive guy uh, with that defensive guy that can get it done. But I don't think, I, I don't think Deshaun Watson's far off from performing at the level you want him to perform at. I think this defense has been neglected for years. And I actually think the Texans, based on what we've seen, 600 total yards offense, based on what they're going to have to work with, I think they actually need to hire a defensive coach as their next guy. I might be getting a little ahead of myself, but that's just kind of the mindset I look at when I watch what Deshaun Watson looks like. All they needed, like we, we sat there and, and we assumed, well, he needs a, uh, Deshaun needs a Greg Roman, Deshaun needs an Andy Reid. No, they needed Bill O'Brien to get the hell out of the building. Well, that's I'll what they need to get the hell out of the building. That's what they needed. I do think you're getting ahead of yourself in that first and foremost, they need to hire a good head coach, whether it's offense or defense. Like I, I agree that the way the team is built, they should be better on offense just because of who they have at quarterback and how much is invested. But I wouldn't go as far if I'm, you know, Cal McNair thinking about potential head coaches. I'm just focused on who do I think is going to be a good head coach. And I also want to know, whatever their specialty side of the football is, what's their plan for the other side? I'll just say specifically Robert Sala is my, it's a one-man list for me right now. It's Robert Sala and it's bringing either the run game coordinator or the pass game coordinator that's, that's been studying under Shanahan that's a young guy to work with Deshaun Watson. That's fair. That's, that's, that's my one-man list right now is Robert Sala and bring one of those mofos. Bring one of those dudes, McDaniel uh, and whatever the other dude's name is. Bring one of them. Let them call the offense. Robert Sala, try to fix this defense. It would stand to reason that if you could Consider the three most important minds of your organization to be the the on the coaching staff at least to be the head coach, the DC, and the OC. It would stand to reason that with this team in this situation, you'd want the most brain power going towards fixing a defense where there's less things to fix and handle on the offense. So I understand the argument. To Mike's point about hire a good coach. I mean, what, you what, need what, to, what were you saying there, right? Like, of oh, course you want to hire a good coach. You got to hire a good coach first. Got to hire a good coach. Well, welcome to Mike's first no-dust statement of the podcast <laughs> yes. there. 
I think you have to continue to showcase week in and week out, even if it's just on offense, you have to continue to showcase that there is something worth coaching here. And certainly with the offense, if you could put up, you know, 28, 35, you have a random 40 spot every now and then you're in games because this offense looks impressive. I think that goes a long way in making sure that you're not out of the running with a good coach, as Mike mentioned. Okay, okay, hire a good coach. Okay, well, you don't want to look so barren that a good coach doesn't consider you, or yeah. you get into a conversation where you're comparing franchises. Says, look, we already know there's two jobs. We know the Jets are about to be the third job. You're talking about a bunch of different positions that could open up. If you got a guy that gets interviewed by four or five teams, three, four teams, you want to have something attractive. And so I think as much as Tim Kelly can coach it up on offense and make himself look good and maybe get himself another job in football somewhere, you got to make sure that you look attractive to whoever that next head coach is and whoever the next general manager is too. You don't want a GM to look at this team. That's and say, another issue in itself. You, you know, you don't want the GM to look at this team and be like, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I, they don't I have think anything. that's as much of an Easterby thing as anything. Yeah, and I, I think that Watson cures basically all of this. If you're looking at Atlanta or you're looking at the Jets and you watch Deshaun play and how exciting he is and the way he's looked the last two weeks, if I'm a if I'm somebody who's worth his salt who wants to be a head coach in the NFL, I would love the opportunity to coach that guy because that to me, like I, I actually think Deshaun starting with the Pittsburgh game has thrown the football with more conviction than I have seen him in the past. I think he's playing, playing at a pretty high level. Now on the defensive side of things, I mean, if you look at this defense, I, I know Anthony Weaver's getting criticized because you never want to oversee a defense that gives up 600 yards, but what the hell did you expect? I like, agree. What, what do you, like, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I, what am I supposed to Look, expect from Anthony Weaver <laughs> I, uh, on I, defense? I understand your argument on there being a severe lack of talent because there is, but there are, there, it does look way easier. I mean, I get that there's a lack of talent. It looks way easier than it should be. Like there, there, we still see these, these big cushions. We still see guys running free that even if you're, a, you're you know, you're not. Well, crappy corners need to get big cushions. Like there's a reason nobody wanted Vernon Hargraves. There's a reason that Philip Gaines is Philip Gaines and that Eric Murray got beat out by Philip Gaines at corner. And all of a sudden he's playing corner for the Texans. Where like the in hell, Kansas city. Like where the hell is Gary on Conley? I was doing some reading this morning. And there are articles from January that basically say, good news for Texans fans. Gary on Conley had a screw move and looks like his recovery is going well. It's October 18th well, and he's still not on the field. I don't think we're going to see him this season. Uh, I mean, yeah, my God, I, 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 I heard that he had a bad training camp and I also a heard bad that his, training camp. That's what I heard. I heard yeah. he looked bad and I, and I heard that his rehab isn't going as well as they'd like. Now, I don't know what that means. Like, I, don't, I don't think it's like an Alex <laughs> Smith situation, but his rehab's not going as well as they like. Look, but look, you're, you're, you're facing the reality that you traded a third round pick look, for six games of a guy. But look, you're also you're also facing the reality that it's Gary and Conley. Like it's he, it's he's not like he was amazing when he played last the year. The Raiders traded him to you the week they played you. I like know. They, they they traded him to you the week <laughs> they played you. Nobody claimed Vernon Hargraves. Like you have one good corner on your team, and he's it, done a very good job it, in Bradley Roby. You, you these these corners are terrible. It, it's it, it's it, we're talking about Gary and Conley. You Mike. traded for a corner off of a. Off of a secondary that was one of the worst in football at yes. the time. Like it's just it, you. You don't think if Gruden and Mike Mayock thought the guy could play, they would have kept him. The, the, the secondary was terrible. They traded a third round pick for that guy. I, uh, here's what I would say about the defense. If I wanted to think about ways to criticize it, one is 
I think they made a mistake not taking a timeout right before the Wildcat play in overtime because there's no downside of taking the timeout in that spot. You've got two in the overtime that are like six, seven minutes to go. Time's not really a factor. They gave you the look. So either they give you the look again or they do a different play. But at least you know you're prepared for it. It didn't look like the defense was set. So one, call a timeout in that spot. The other one would be on the Henry 94-yard run. That looked to me like it was just in that was going to be a run. And I thought they played that too aggressively. Like if you give up a 10 or even a 15 yard run, they're all the way backed up. You can afford a bad running player too. Don't give up 94 yards on one play. I thought they were too aggressive in that spot. My criticism of the defense is if you just look at the two year pattern of King Bill, they just completely ignored it. I mean, they've, they've completely ignored the defense. You let Clowney walk. You let DJ Reader walk. Okay, you know what that shows? It shows that you don't value stopping the run. Those are two elite guys at stopping the run, Jadavian Clowney and DJ Reader. And you let those guys walk, and now all of a sudden you got problems stopping the run. The other thing is this. Brennan Scarlett, I love the guy. I absolutely love the guy. Uh, I want him on my football team. I think he's the type of guy that you want on your team as a special teamer or a reserve. But the fact that he has started two years on a defense with no injuries or anything, he's just the guy, is pathetic. That's embarrassing. Jonathan Grenard and Ross Blacklock, those guys can't even get on the field in this situation. Whitney Merciless didn't have a tackle yesterday. Blacklock did play, I think, 32% of the snaps. He had one good play on the screen. He sniffed out the screen, yeah. Yeah, he sniffed out the screen, and that was really the only play we see. Whitney Merciless didn't make a tackle yesterday. There's zero chance that Whitney Merciless is getting the deal that you gave him. Brandon Dunn's been a backup here for a reason. All of a sudden, he's starting. Carlos Watkins, I feel like I thought Carlos Watkins was going to get cut the last two years and all of a sudden well, he's play, like he, he right, was in he, the rotation and he's the guy who couldn't seal the edge on the last play of the game I just I don't mean, that's the guy who Sambreo the, the backup left tackle in for Luan that's who he blocked on that last play you figure you have a defensive end kind of guy in that spot he could at least like stand up to him but he could not and if you're, the, the, the talent evaluation as far as what the defense is it's embarrassing it's 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 embarrassing expand it's pathetic I'm Look, intrigued by this I mean the talent just the, the <laughs> I mean look at the Look at, I'm looking at it. Look at the moves that Landry <laughs> mentioned. Look at the fact that they drafted a guy who was a corner, has played corner his whole life, comes out in his draft interview and says, you know what? I like to get I like to man up a wide receiver. I like to get in their face. I like to be physical. And then after a COVID offseason, that guy's playing safety. <laughs> Lonnie like Johnson. Lonnie Johnson. Which I like seeing him. I, I actually like it too. I think he's more built to be a safety than to be a cornerback. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why are you drafting a safety in the second round the year after you drafted a safety in the third round? Well, that that I think is a very fair question. Uh, my also, friend, they paid Zach Cunningham too early. That's it, abundantly clear. That looks, yeah, that looks like it is the case. Uh, with Lonnie, like m- my friend Matt Weston made the point that Lonnie is like a three-year project. Shout out to Battle Red. Shout out to Battle Red Block. And with a three-year project, so we're only a year and a half into a three-year project. Plus, no, some, you don't draft three-year projects, projects in the second round. Those, so is those, Kahali wearing guys, a three-year project too? I don't know. But I, but that was his analysis of Lonnie. Now, that might make it an unworthy draft pick. Very fair. But if he 
is a three-year project, then we haven't gotten to the third year. But, but is that three-year project a corner? Because now he's playing safety. So do we start the project over? So, I now, think, is, so now is he a three-year project at safety? No, I think it's a three-year project for him to be a productive football player. I just want him on the field. I, I, want, sure. I want guys like Lonnie on the field. I'm okay with that. I, I think the, the, the other thing that we got to look at is we look at just like the layers and the evaluation and the fact that I think the B.O.B. stench is still alive and well is <laughs> – if you just look at last year, and we'll get, we'll get to the EB in a while, the Enron back. I'm not calling him by his government. Number 31 is the Enron back because he steals money in Houston like Enron. The starting running back and backup safety last year. Because it's one thing to make dumbass trades, but when you go... I like this. When you evaluate players <laughs> this poorly to where you're dedicating a portion of your cap towards stuff that should be easy to find, that's where you get a horse crap defense and that's where you get a horse crap football team with a running back who should probably retire. Carlos Hyde and Jaleel die last year. Yes. They made a combined $2.3 million. Adai made $1.5 million. Carlos Hyde made $800,000. You traded someone you were going to cut for Carlos Hyde. So for your starting running back that gave you 1,000 yards and your reserve safety, who did a pretty good job on special teams and as a backup, you were paying $2.3 million. This year, you trade DeAndre Hopkins for the Enron back, who's making $10.5 million, and you... And you sign Eric Murray for $6 million a year, $4 million this year, and then he's going to count $6 million next year. That is a difference of $12.5 million on your salary cap this year compared to last for a starting running back and backup safety. And quite honestly, is there anyone in their right mind that wouldn't trade what you're seeing just, just from a production standpoint? Just from a production standpoint, is there anyone that wouldn't trade Eric Murray and uh, and? David Johnson for Jalila Dye and Carlos Hyde without even taking into account that it's a $12.5 million difference. This is the kind of stupid shit that leaves you in the situation you're in. This is the kind of crap giving Randall Cobb $12 million next year, uh, guaranteeing Whitney Merciless all that money. It's one thing to make dumb trades, but if you're at least evaluating players like that yes. and you can just bring these guys in and props for the Carlos you, Hyde trade, that was a good deal. You're putting yourself in a yes. bad spot when you do stuff like this. You could have justified going to five, six, if you wanted to, $7 million for Carlos Hyde because he fit what you do. He was the first running back that actually fit what Bill O'Brien and his offensive staff wanted to do on offense. In it was year six. It was super successful for him. It was super successful for them overall. You could have justified spending the money for him, and Lord knows what you could have got if you didn't take back David Johnson in the situation. Lord knows what you could have got in trading DeAndre Hopkins. But even if you know you still felt like you had to trade DeAndre Hopkins – Carlos Hyde's a better running back and showed it last year and probably going into this year was probably a better I mean, running back than David Johnson. Well, I mean, that, that's the infuriating thing. I, I need to like go look at the Arizona Cardinals roster and see how many other players I would rather have than have David Johnson because like it's one thing to trade DeAndre Hopkins for not enough. It's another to trade him for like actively bad players who are hurting your team compared to like like a replacement level guy and you're paying them $10 million. Like you'd be better off trading for like a bunch of like minimum guys who are like average players basically. And that's the problem with the trade and that's why the trade's always brought up because it was one of the worst trades in NFL history but it's also it, the, the, the way in which they evaluate the roster is just a representation of just absolute absolute just it, it's a disaster. Like you look at you look at uh, Carlos Hyde last year. So Carlos Hyde, Bill O'Brien told me that he offered Carlos Hyde a contract. They offered him a two-year, ten million dollar deal or whatever. 
And I guess Carlos Hyde wanted to test the market. Okay, he tested the market. You could have just sat around and waited and let Carlos get back to you, and you could have figured it out. Or you could have paid him a few more dollars and got him in the building. But the other thing is, so you're telling me, you're telling me, and this is where I was really, and I, I actually talked to him about it. This is, this is where I'm confused by that. If Bill O'Brien, this would have been idiotic, completely idiotic. But if he would have told me, look, We've loved David Johnson from day one. He was our target. That was the guy that we wanted. We think this guy makes everything perfect. This is our guy right here. Rah, rah, let's go. That's why we traded Hopkins. That's why we're paying the salary. This guy's going to be awesome. This is going to be the next big thing. Hear me out on this, Mike. If he would have said that, it's incompetent. It's incompetent to think that. That's dumb. It is. But at least it would make sense for why you traded DeAndre Hopkins for him. He essentially traded DeAndre Hopkins for a guy that makes no sense to one on your roster, and it was his backup plan. Yeah, that, you that made is, that's that a good much, point. You made, yeah. that much, you made that much of a stupid trade, and it wasn't even your first choice. It's not like you liked him because you offered to hide the money at first. Yes. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, that doesn't that, – that in combination makes no sense. So, I mean, there's not so, a right answer to it, but well, it's even more troubling that that was your backup. Backup but plan. that's that's what's interesting is that not only is it infuriating infuriating that on the one hand that they're so bad that they that O'Brien couldn't really evaluate talent. It's another thing that when he couldn't evaluate like talent that was good for him in that right. like they basically had to make the the like, Carlos Hyde deal I, or bring in a guy like Car- a die and it actually works out that he doesn't even like know what's good for him if that Car- makes sense. Carlos Hyde and David Johnson are. Totally different running backs. Definitely. They have totally different skill sets. They have totally different abilities. What is body what types. Is, what is the Imran back skill set? At Outside this point? running. <laughs> Outside running. Okay, <laughs> let me let me let me back up because there's no more skills there. As to your point, David Johnson, whatever the thought was Bro, on his skill set. I understand. So trash. Let me make my point though. The thought of his skill set was he could be able to catch the ball. Yeah, catch the maybe, ball too. He yeah. could maybe get the That's he the maybe bounce things outside. Um, Carlos Hyde between the tackles. Hit the hole, hard yards, tough yards. Bill O'Brien did the same thing with David Johnson that he did for years with Lamar Miller. But Lamar was better. I understand that, but let me make my point. Lamar should have been catching the ball out of the backfield. Lamar should have been running outside. Yes. What did they do with Lamar? They banged him into the offensive line and defensive line, ran him between the tackles. It finally looked good. You finally looked to get an efficient 1,000-yard rusher when you had the right type of guy, the right skill set. So what did Bill O'Brien do? He, again, took a guy that didn't have the skill set for his running back, the way he uses his running back, and just decided to run him into the offensive line a bunch, and it looks awful. On top of the fact that David Johnson can't do the other stuff that we thought David Johnson was going to be able to do. Well, so now we're at the point, I, I think almost everybody listening right now probably agrees with our collective take on this whole thing. Just the, I, I think we broke it down in, in a unique way. But so basically, are we at the point where what point are we at right now with David Johnson? Like, what should they do? Just cut bench him, him? Cut him. Cut him. Okay. Yeah. Duke, Honestly, should get, Duke should get more carries. I he definitely should get more. You, carries. you need no to doubt. evaluate Duke because I think Duke could be a guy that gets cut before next season. Absolutely. Um, but with I the money situation. Five mil. You save five mil cutting Duke. So they're five point one mil is what you save cutting Duke. So yeah. I think he's I, I think he's got to be gone. But maybe you can evaluate him and see if he's a guy that you want to agree on a deal to. But, but you got to you got to cut David Johnson at this point. Like it's you, you need to move on if you're really trying to move on from bill o'brien and we had i think larry and stafford called in the show today and he was like it's just a reminder of how bad bill o'brien is you, you just need to get rid of david johnson now obviously well, they're not going to cut him they're going to keep him but i want to ask you guys this seriously i'm, I'm, I'm being serious yes. I'm, be, I'm being 100 serious if david johnson did get cut and they're not going to do it I'm, I'm saying you got to cut him that was an emotional thing and i uh, we can dump that take that back <laughs> <laughs> if if david johnson did get cut 
would any NFL team feel that they just needed to sign David Johnson? Or would he be on the streets like a lot of running backs are? Like, what, If David Johnson were on the market right now, would an NFL team say, oh, we got to jump all over that? No. I think someone would sign him eventually, but it's not like I, some instant, you know, some team's going to be like, oh, we got, we have to bring him in. No, I, of course I, not. I, like, I know you said that cutting him is kind of a, a crazy way to look at it or a bad idea or whatever, not realistic. I actually would prefer Duke Johnson and two guys who aren't on the roster who you haven't had the opportunity to evaluate in a 53-man roster situation, I'd actually prefer Duke Johnson and two new faces in the running back room to giving David Johnson more carries. And oh, by the way, I think the offense would be better if you had Duke Johnson and two guys who aren't currently on this team who are young guys you could bring in. I mean, you think about some of the running backs around the league, not every one of these guys who's successful is like a first round or a second round pick or a third or a mid-round pick. Like, Go out there and see if you can strike gold and find a guy who can contribute or be a you know uh, a combo back with Duke. Like they just don't even have an an an, an opportunity to find something new when David Johnson's getting carries and getting snaps for this team. They also need to figure out what they're doing with the running game because right now they're donating a lot of downs and, and especially if you look at Deshaun Watson's first down passing. I think he was like thirteen of sixteen on Sunday with like a really high yards per attempt and. What I think is also interesting is Deshaun clearly likes operating out of shotgun. A lot of receivers on the field open it up. He wants to go quick tempo, which is fine. But a lot of times it's hard to run that way. It's hard to run from the shotgun. So I think that's something that Tim Kelly and Deshaun, everybody needs to be figuring out. Because if you kind of like look at Deshaun's postgame comments on Sunday, it, it, you can tell, I think, that he's looking and he's like, yeah, these running, these, these running plays are not doing much for us. Philosophically, the way they approach the run game, even with Tim Kelly, without Bill O'Brien standing over his shoulder, it's, it is a net negative for this offense. Philosophically. Well, what would, you, what would you do? Like, what do you do about that? Well, it's tough because you can't telegraph it by just putting him under center every time. Yeah. So you don't want to telegraph it, but you know, throw some boots in there and make a defense pay when they sell out for uh, a rushing attack or run him outside more. They don't run outside. You think about these tackles. They yes. are big, physical, nasty tackles that when Laramie Tunsil or Titus Howard get a hold of you, they usually move you. Run him outside. David Johnson had an 11-yard run running outside. Duke he Johnson had a 10-yard run. run running uh, over Laramie Tunsil. Like, Stop running it in between the middle where you've got subpar players in the middle or par at best players in the middle of this offensive line. Stop running it up the middle and in between bounce some stuff outside. That's why that, that was supposed to be why David Johnson was here. Sometimes an NFL team gets better when certain players start getting hurt. This team would be better off if David Johnson got hurt. Like, heard it here first. Mike Meltzer wishing no, an injury on somebody. No, I'm not wishing an injury. I'm just saying, like, Mike Lombardi talks about this. That's sometimes, sometimes that's You really team, want that karma on your ledger? No, I'm just saying, Lombardi points out, former NFL GM, he says, sometimes you actually need injuries to become a better team because you're doing things for, like, contract reasons or name reasons. And in this case, they would be better off not having the announcers on Sunday say, well, they've got to justify this deal in some way. And everyone's sitting there is like, no, they don't have to justify the David Johnson deal. They just have to do what's in the best interest of the team, which is not running Look. him, you know, however many times. 19 19. 19. He had, he three, less carries. 19 he had three less carries than Derrick Henry. I mean, 19. Think about that. And what's your fun stat when you compare David Johnson and Derrick Henry? <laughs> David Johnson's making more money. Oh, he's making more money. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing about this situation is I think you have to look 2021 when you're making choices. And I, I think it's obvious that David Johnson doesn't get the job done, but 
I don't think he's going to be here in 2021. Now, I know he's guaranteed $2 million, so I, I don't oh, know. Oh, he's not going to be here. Yeah, so he's not going to be here. I don't know if Duke's going to be here, but I do want to talk about these receivers because I do kind of feel like this receiving core, and you have to have Randall Cobb next year because he's guaranteed $12 million. Who, who the hell negotiated? He used to be fired Chris Olsen so he could give Randall Cobb $12 million in year two. That's a great point. I mean, uh, that's 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 what Chris Olsen got fired for, so Randall Cobb so, could get $12 million no matter what. For those who don't know, Chris Olsen was the, the cap expert, negotiated the contracts, ins and outs of the money you, for this team for a few years, and then they let go of him. <laughs> And then they immediately signed a bunch of bad contracts. And Easterby said, you know, I, he would always talk about structure. So Cobb's getting 12 mil next year, so he's back. Uh, Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, they, they look like guys that Deshaun Watson's building some chemistry with, and you might not have to worry about receiver next year. Now you're going to have to make a decision on both of those guys. Brandon Cooks, I think, is set to make 12 million, but none of it's guaranteed. And Will Fuller's going to be an unrestricted free agent. But I am somewhat encouraged if we're looking at it from like, a, are these guys going to be here past 2020? I think Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks are guys that I, I think could, I think could be here for a while. Oh, I, you, you, look! If you, if you, if what you've put together is a massive turnover at running back, you can't also have a massive turnover at wide receiver too. So it would stand to reason that you want to bring back a lot of the pass catchers that you have success with because you're having success through the air. We know Jordan Akins is going to be on this team next year as well. So if you brought back the top tight end and you brought back the top two outside receivers and you brought back the slot receiver and you're bringing back the offensive line for the most part. I would assume four out of five or maybe five out of five come back next year. You look at the situation. Okay. The offense has succeeded the past couple of weeks. You bring back some of those guys. You fill in with some depth pieces that maybe can help here or there. You change the running back room and maybe the offense gets better. And then you can start worrying about the defense. Just give the defense some attention. Like give the defense some attention. Like it, it's, it's one thing to just draft a guy in the second and third round or whatever, and they can't play, but Give him some attention. Give him some of those resources. I think it makes sense. I, I, I think Will Fuller, you, you said, Mike, maybe franchise tag Will Fuller. Well, that's my question. What, what do you do with Will Fuller? Because if he hits the open market, even in a pandemic economy, he's going to get a lot of money from Robbie, somebody. Robbie Anderson got $10 million a year, and Will Fuller yep. is better is better than Robbie Anderson, assuming Will Fuller can play a full season. Yes, which now he has that, knock that, on wood so far. Now that's baked in and built into probably evaluation of Will Fuller. So he does not fit on that he needs to get hurt for the team to be better, Mike? No, he does not fit into that category. But uh, they're in a tough spot with Will Fuller because if they didn't have I mean, some of these contracts... Him, you could pay him $12 million a year, $14 well, million a year? Well, that's the question because if they, if they didn't have some of these contracts, it would make a lot of sense. But now you're in a situation where, you know, if you re-sign Fuller, he's still going to have the injury questions. But at the same time, you do have to surround Deshaun with talent. Uh, for me, I'm just, I'm in a wait and see approach. I just want to keep waiting and seeing can Fuller stay healthy and what does he do the rest of the season? I'm not going to make that decision until from a Texas standpoint, December for a possible re-signing at the earliest. That's my thought right now. I mean, the franchise tag to me feels like it was built for guys like Will Fuller. I'm not against that. I just wonder, can they afford whatever the tag is going to be for a receiver well, for 2021? I could clear 20 over 20 million in cap space right now. What would you do? So if, if you look at 2021 potential cuts, you cut Bernardrick McKinney, you save 7 million. Okay. You cut Duke Johnson, you save 5 million. That's 12. You set, you cut Brandon Dunn, you save 3.25. That's a no brainer. No, those are, yeah, those are easy cuts. You Nick make. Martin, you save 6.25 million. That one I'm not sure Is Nick sure Martin about. worth $9, $9 million? You saved 6.25 getting rid of Nick Martin. You're telling me you can't find another Nick Martin or maybe 
restructure Nick Martin's contract? I wouldn't want to get rid of him because at some point, even though some of those cuts, as I'm kind of going down the list, it's like, yeah, McKinney, Duke Johnson, like you still got to replace those guys. You still have to like have an inside linebacker, have a backup right. running back. And in this case, you'd have to be re- uh, replacing a starting offensive lineman. And you don't have draft picks to do that either. Exactly. Like if you told me that you're going to cut Nick Martin and you're replacing him with a first round draft pick, like the Saints did a couple of years ago yeah, when their Ruiz. center moved on, um, I'm fine with that, but you, you don't have that option. You don't have that luxury. And you certainly, you know, if we're talking about making room to make sure you can franchise tag Will Fuller, you certainly don't have the luxury to go out and spend on quality guys to go out and replace. And look, we assume, because it would be very hard to not, we assume the next general manager is going to be much better at bargains, much better at finding talent, what much better hope? at evaluating talent. That would be the hope. If he gets worse than Bill O'Brien, he may be one of the worst general managers in the history of the National Football League. I'm just going to hope and pray that's not going to be the case because it seems very difficult to get lower than, the, than some of the moves that have been made the last year and a half. So as you talk about 2021, people naturally are going to wonder, okay, can you improve 2021's lie by sacrificing more in 2020, and that's the trade deadline. Because this team's going to play one more football game before the trade deadline. Which they'll lose. Maybe. You heard it here first, Maybe. Mike Meltzer. They will lose against Maybe. Green Bay. I think if they, win, losing. if they win, the playoff hopes are still alive. Oh, I that's said they fair. needed to leave three, uh, win three out of four. They, they got to steal that's this fair. game against Green Bay, and then they got Jacksonville. Three and five, first half of the season, you could be in much worse shape. But, you, but you've got to... You've got to make that decision on if you're going to go for it, try to make something happen in 2020 before you play Jacksonville. Absolutely. Yeah. So when Texans you, are three and a half point dogs at home against Green Bay. I know where this line. is going. That's a funny line. Don't you think? Uh, that it's like sort of in that Vegas zone between like, you know, three and seven. I would have thought that Green Bay. I would have thought that would have been a favorite by more. I would have yes. thought Green Bay would have had. I thought that would have been something like five. Yeah, I agree with you. That, that's a little, little, little uh, surprising. Maybe they're can, spooked can, by Kansas Green Bay's City off of an embarrassment. Went to Buffalo, who hadn't been good on defense, and they were five. Yep. And then this is Green Bay off an embarrassment. A little surprising. And they're coming to Houston, who has who just allowed 264 yards to one individual. And they're only three and a half point favorites. Kind of feels like a weird line. So I know that this is probably going to you right asking up to us. Four, maybe it'd be a <laughs> you asking us, should they trade JJ Watt? That's the, the, he's to me, the only guy that has a return that is worth considering that doesn't significantly hinder your 2021 football team. Cause if you're trading Brandon cooks, if you're trading Will Fuller, that takes them out of the equation to be on your team in 2021. And you, we just talked about how you, we want to keep the offense rolling. We want to keep, we want to see the offense continue to build, score a bunch of points every week. Well, getting rid of Brandon Cooks or Will Fuller that doesn't help you, and yes. I don't believe their return is that high. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely entertain trading JJ if I could get the right package. This team is just in a spot where we met, we're t- discussing all these decisions. They're not going to have cap space. They don't have a first or second round pick. They're going to be in dire need of cheap, young, good players, and that would be their best way to acquire one. Well, so, yes, I would absolutely entertain it. You also got to look at who's in charge of making the trades. So when you say that, what do you mean? Because if someone called and said, who's first the friend, GM right now? Jack, Jack Easterby is the GM and all these moves that we have <laughs> criticized under Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby signed off on. Correct. Jack Easterby was thumbs up on all this. Yeah, that's great. Bring David Johnson in. trade DeAndre Hopkins. I'm all for that. Jack Easterby was on board with all this. So when you ask that though, aren't there levels of no brain 
trades that could get offered that that anybody would say yes to? Like, if someone offers you a first right now for JJ Watt, you're saying yes. Yeah, you have to. Pro- you probably have to take that. Yeah. And you just just given where the organization is, where the pick situation is, that's probably a deal you have to take. Now, okay, like what's the counter argument to it? you're weighing five years of cheap talent versus two years of, of expensive talent. And, and 2020's year of JJ is essentially wasted. If you keep him, because the likelihood is you're not going to compete for a championship in 2020. Yes. Now, are you going to compete for a championship in 2021? Probably not. Probably not. And then JJ Watts, a free agent. And then maybe he leaves. And then the best you can get for him is a third round pick and a compensation thing, which you have to wait another year for. Yeah. So if you could, I believe there are enough teams that are in the hunt, that think that they could make a, a, a impact by adding J.J. Watt. It's not like you're adding a quarterback and he's got to learn your coach's offense, or you or you you're adding like a yeah, you, lot, you, you can know, plug him in. You can plug him in and go get the quarterback. Okay. Yep. I think you, if you let it be known, and J.J. wants it that this guy's available, you create a bidding war that you can get a good package <laughs> from this guy. Do we trust them to? Uh... It shouldn't be hard to create a bidding war. Like, even we should be able to do that. Just call around a bunch of teams, you know, see what they're willing to offer. It doesn't seem like it would take a lot of football expertise. But I don't know if, if this organization is ultimately going to be willing to trade J.J. That's what I'm not sure about. Well, my question is, do you think J.J. is against it, is opposed to it? I mean, this is a guy who... I, I, I don't think he'd be opposed to it because I think he sees where this situation is going. And while he would have liked to have won a Super Bowl or gone deep into the playoffs here. If that's not going to happen this year, it's probably not going to happen next year. Like we know what the timeline is on him. I mean, sidebar that might not matter, might matter. His wife walked up to her team and asked for a trade. She got traded. Yeah. So he's seen experience in his own family. I mean, this is the point in defensive players careers where typically if they don't have a Super Bowl, like just uh, throughout history, you've kind of seen them like, move on from organizations that they're beloved at for different reasons. Yeah. Like Reggie white at age 32, he was with the, or 31. He was in his early thirties with the Eagles. He went and went to green Bay cause he got more money and he went and chased the super bowl. He left Philadelphia. Uh, the Broncos had, are not the Broncos. The chiefs had to say goodbye to Neil Smith in his early thirties. Uh, that was just a business decision. They just decided to do it. Neil Smith goes and gets his two ships, uh, with the Broncos and you had DeMarcus Ware with the Cowboys, kind of a similar situation. He left there in his thirties and he went to Denver to get a super bowl. I, I don't see why JJ at this point, if that really is the ultimate goal. And I think it is, I don't see why JJ would be opposed to this. I almost see like he, it almost feels like JJ would, would be in favor because let's be honest, that SOB on Sunday in Nashville, that was JJ. That, that was vintage. elite. That was elite. That was vintage. DPOY JJ. And they still gave up 600 yards of offense. Now, now the tough <laughs> part, depressing. the tough part about us, you know, talking about a bidding war, creating that situation. And then ultimately, and maybe we're evaluating this way too, too favorably, you're praying that maybe someone would trade you a first. You look around at the standings. There's a lot of teams that don't have a first round pick to trade Buffalo who would, after the defense is sort of falling apart for them, Buffalo would probably love to have JJ Watt. But if you want a first, I mean, that's sitting in Minnesota right now. They don't have their first round pick. No, I think they used it. Hold they on. They used did, it. They did, used it on Jefferson. Buffalo, Buffalo it traded wasn't two first rounders. No, it Buffalo. was one. It was one. They used they, they used their first round pick. I think Buffalo does have a first because Not like the LA Rams don't have a first it, round pick. The, the Rams would be a team that would be interested in JJ. They don't have a first round pick. They, they used don't. It, they used it. Yeah, I think I'm pretty positive. Okay, well, Mike's going to double check Jefferson. it. But you know, you look at 
I mean, none of these NFC East teams are going to make that deal. They're yeah, not going to. The only traded picks right now are Houston to Miami, the Rams to Jacksonville, and then Seattle to the Jets for Adams. Yeah, so, so those Buffalo are the only three. Okay, so Buffalo could, in theory, be that now, team. Now, Seattle's a team who the Texans have traded for a couple times with big-name players who that team, they, they have a bad defense, and they cannot rush a passer. But again, they don't have a first-round pick. Seattle doesn't have a first-round pick? Yeah. Could you, could you call Miami if they stay in the hunt? I think it's going to be a team that like is really competing. Like Miami is three and three, and they they might compete for that extra playoff spot. But I, I don't know if they're. What about Cleveland? I think you're more looking at uh, teams that let me let me see here, like teams that are pretty good but can use some real help on defense. What about New Orleans? Yeah, well, they were sniffing around. They were trying to all. They were sort- trying to get Clowney. They were trying to get Clowney. They're trying to all sorts of different maneuvers to get him right before the season. That I, that, that would make sense. I call Sean Payton. That makes sense. See what's up. He makes the decisions, right? It's not the it's not the Mickey Loomis. <laughs> no, I mean, him, look, right? if, if you can trade I JJ, I, th- I think he would. I, I think JJ would be all in favor of it if he can get in a good situation. You know, I don't think Arizona's like a Super Bowl contender with their coach, but they just lost Chandler Jones and they're going to be competing for a playoff spot. So they would need a pass rusher. Uh, I, I just don't know if the Bay. value. Yeah, Green send, Bay. Send him to the childhood favorite team. <laughs> yes. Or. Chicago, which they probably need to keep because they probably need to go after a quarterback next year, but Chicago and then send him so that he gets to play his childhood favorite team. I, I am curious what the value would be for JJ from a draft pick plus maybe draft pick plus player kind of perspective. Now, does he get a new deal or not? Because if you look at it next year, I think he's making 16 mil, which is a, that, 17 that, and a half. 17 that, That's a good deal for, for JJ for one year. I mean, that's, that's a good deal, especially if you're going to get what you saw yesterday. If JJ is going to be what he was yesterday, that's a steal. So you're not only getting him this year, you're getting him next year as well. And maybe he could try to get a new deal. I just don't know. It's really going to come down to, does he want to be traded? Is and, he open to being traded? And are you getting something of substantial enough value to outweigh what he could bring to the table in 2021 and beyond? Because you would assume that if you don't trade him and he sticks around, there's probably a conversation about an extension so that you do lower his impact on the cap so that you can try to improve the team right away. So, the potential to not have J.J. Watt in 2021 and beyond is also in the conversation. It's not just 2020, 2021. I'll say this. If, if they do trade J.J., then I think they need to sign Clowney after this season. Yeah, because I think <laughs> I, no, I'm serious That's because I think he's comfortable here. The market is way different for Clowney than what he thought. I think they can get that, and I just don't know he if knows they have, what's going on. I just I, my my struggle is it, it sounds good on paper. I just don't know if they have the space to do any of this. I kind mean, of I stuff. just cleared twenty million for you and JJ. Yeah, but you want to sign Will Fuller? I don't think you can sign but, Will Fuller and Clowney. If, if JJ's gone, that's an extra sixteen. Okay, fair so enough. So there's thirty six million I just well, cleared. Yeah, I mean, I got to see where the cap is. So yeah, without JJ and we, without the other guys, we watched the, other, we watched the Chiefs have no money and move things around. We watch the Rams have no money, move things around. I'm not super worried about the cap. Well, if Easterby's doing the cap, that's a problem. Okay, well, my uh, my hope is that Jack Easterby, if he's around the organization, he's in a far more Patriot-centric role than what he's been with the Texans. I mean, ultimately, like, I understand what the Chiefs did. Like, they had no money. But, like, the way, the thing, though, with with the Texans situation is that, like, the numbers are the numbers. Like, the cap's going to be at a certain level. It's not going up this offseason, obviously, with the pandemic. And the cap numbers are what they are. The dead money is what it is. And that's the math they have to work with. Like, I don't know how many, like, you can 
sign contracts with like lower cap figures for 2021 and then, you know, build them back up after that. You could do that kind of accounting. You, I mean, you can get funny with Laramie's contract. You can get funny with Deshaun's contract already. I guess you you could do that sort of thing. Yes. But you are operating under some some real limitations here. The, I mean, the, the thought process would be try to be as good as possible in 2021, correct? New coach, of new general manager. Last year, the Deshaun's a, a, a cheaper quarterback. The idea would... So if you have to deal with some of that junk down the road that you kicked the can down the road and you got to pay aging veteran X a little bit extra money down the road, you do that. Well, the other problem is, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about fudging the cap and all this stuff for what? Like I just threw out Clowney. Clowney's not... What I mean, he's he's a good player, and and I would love to have him on its team. But you know, all these teams that fudge the cap, we're talking about. I mean, the Rams did it for Jalen Effin, Ramsey, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. The Chiefs did it for Frank Clark, Chris Jones, and all these guys. It's 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 crazy that with the talent levels that those rosters have, and the talent level that the Texans roster have, we're talking about clearing cap space for what? Like for who? Like the, it, it, it's it's a it's a bad it's it's a bad situation. It's a, it's a bad but, situation, but since but it's, it's not going to you, but, the, the thought process is the hope is it's not going to stay bad because there's going to be a new decision maker. Yeah, I think that I think because it is so bad, they should actually operate not really that desperately. Just try to make smart moves, wise decisions. You don't have to go all in for 2021 because you can't and just, you know, kind of try to be as competitive as possible while not killing yourself long term and keeping the talent that should stay around and deciding on the other guys who should be here long term and who, and who should not. And, and by the way, Way, a year from now, it's probably short of something miraculous happening in Indianapolis. It's probably a one team division that if you're good enough to compete with that team, maybe you're in the conversation because Phillip Rivers is shot. I understand that he slung the ball around against Cincinnati a little bit. Yeah, he Phillip shot. Rivers is shot. They're going to have a new quarterback next year. I agree. So outside of them landing Sam Darnold or one of these rookies that's coming out, that's going to be really good, which I mean, I, you know, I don't know how Indianapolis is going to be set at at um at quarterback and then Jacksonville is going to be I mean they're in they're in a total rebuild yes okay so they're not a huge factor so if you were as you pointed out if you were smart but still competitive you could try to turn this division into a two-team race because Tennessee is going to be good next year okay yeah they should I mean, be good I mean people I, I don't think we gave them enough credit coming into this season and I think people gave the Colts too much credit coming into this season Tennessee's really good Ryan Tannehill's really good most of us didn't think that that was going to be the case this year. Yeah, I, I don't really disagree with with a big part of that. Yeah, I think that that the division can be gettable depending on where Tennessee is. It's just it's really hard for me to project this this Texans team just given how many things are going to happen before that. The GM hire, the head coach hire, all these decisions we're talking about. Like it's hard to, for me to even think about the division next season. And we got to also. I mean, they got ten games left. Yeah, the, 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 we got a while here. I mean, I I really do think if you win this game against Green Bay, it, it's not far fetched to think you can get in the playoffs because you're going to play Jacksonville. You start out three and five. What the Colts start out one and five two years ago when they got in. Texans started out zero oh and three. Like the, it, it's going to be an easier schedule. And, and that team that we saw yesterday, they're not going to beat the Baltimore's they're not going to beat the Chiefs hell they, they didn't beat the Titans but if you look at their schedule they can beat anyone they, they can beat on any given Sunday anyone on their schedule their toughest game is the one that they're going to play on Sunday and if you steal this game against the Packers at home 
and you win that game, and this Packers team got roughed up pretty bad yesterday, then this season isn't completely shot. It's just when you're a sports fan, you're not typically used to the coach getting fired one-fourth into the season. So you, you tend to get ahead of yourself and start looking at 2021 and all that. But a, but a dub on Sunday, and this team's still alive, and they, they still got a shot. Sunday, bye week to sort of fix some of the issues that you can't fix um, on a regular NFL week. And then Jacksonville and Cleveland – all of a sudden, you're one game below 500. You're in the hunt. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're in the hunt. I'm telling you. In you the have hunts. some very beatable teams on the schedule. And by the way, that was a one-possession overtime game against Tennessee when their best player went absolutely bananas in Tennessee. I mean, if you could play them similarly, you would think that maybe you have a slight advantage when that game is a little bit later in the season. You've hopefully figured some things out, and you're playing it at your place. So, you know, winnable game. They have winnable games left on the schedule. I don't know about Sunday. Sunday's weird. Sunday's going to be interesting. Sunday's tough. The worst thing that happened to the Texans was the way Green Bay looked. Because that was one of the three worst games Aaron Rodgers ever played. <laughs> Imagine him against this secondary. My God. Watching the tape. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Devontae Adams and all those guys they have. Like, I, I know it's not a great receiving core, but he's now healthy, and he's just going to slice and dice this defense. But Plus, the, by the way, they're still not good against the run, and Aaron Jones is a good running back. It, it's going to be a massacre, at least with that matchup. How about Green Bay just taking two swings and not even using their first and second round pick on their squad this year, basically. Well, we'll see what happens with the uh, development of Jordan Love. Argument for the Texans being better (laughs) by not having theirs because the the Packers don't even use theirs and they're fine. Yes, yes. They, of course, have a, you know, general manager who's been drafting really well for a few years and making some smart signings and things like the Texans, not so much. Exactly, yes, exactly. Not so much. Uh, Let's talk some baseball. Indeed. What did we think of Jeff Luno's conversation with KPRC? <laughs> Landry, I'll leave the floor to you. I think you had a good tweet about this. I think you had a, you had a pretty reasoned take. I mean, I think he's a total slime ball. I mean, I, I think he's a slime ball, uh, but he said he wants to get into the NFL and he said he wants to get into the NBA or he looked into it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be opposed to uh, bringing on Jeff Luno uh, at but as far as the interview itself, or at least taking a look at Jeff Luno, I think it's very clear he's lying. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen him pressed a little bit. I mean, it, it was, I don't want to call it fluffy because that's, that's a tough get. And a lot of times when you get these, you got to agree to stuff before. But I would just like to see how he handled actually being pressed on some of the BS that he was throwing out there, which what? it came across as total BS. Well, he tried to make himself out to be like, oh, you know, I know I was the GM of a team involved in the sign stealing scandal. I actually wanted to impose harsher rules in Major League Baseball. I, I wanted to be like at the vanguard of making sure this stuff, this stuff got out of the game. And it was like between that and his explanations about the Brandon Taubman thing, it, it was very much like a none of this is my fault sort of uh, interview. And I just, I don't know what that's going to get him. Um, like I, I've been convinced for a year or so, well, less than a year, that A.J. Hinch is going to be a manager. I don't know if Jeff is going to get a GM job. I don't know that this interview is really going to help him. I, I did not. No, it didn't help him. That's I, for sure. It damn sure didn't help him. Nobody I, watched that and said, you know what? I feel sorry for that guy. Yeah, I agree with you. He did not. He did not seem like someone who would, you would feel sorry for. Like he threw a bunch of people in the organization under the bus, particularly with the Tobin situation. And the question that I would have liked to have heard asked is this. The memo that baseball sent out on September 15, 2017 is the one that said, hey, we investigated the, the Red Sox and the Yankees for the Apple Watch thing. Here are the punishments. And if this happens again, we're going to hold two people in every organization responsible. Number one, the manager. Number two, the GM. 
Being the general manager of a baseball team is a big job. That's a very important job. You get paid a lot of money, a lot of responsibilities. So for Jeff to sit there and act like, well, you know, this person betrayed me and that person, these are people who are mostly in the organization through either you hiring them or at least knowing that they're in the organization. So I, I, I think this is really, this should be a situation the way I like to look at the world that you approach it like Harry Truman did. The buck stops here. Like the buck stops with the general manager and the manager. And, and Jeff Luno is no Harry Truman. I can tell you that. And even if he didn't want the buck to stop with him, by virtue of the office he holds, the buck stops with him. I mean, bottom line, like the, the buck stops with him. And he's talking about how like, well, I would have I would have been willing to take a lie detector test. And well, I, I replied to this email. But if you look at the timestamps of the emails, I replied. To, I replied to two other ones in the previous minute. There's no possible way I could have read 1500 words. And it's just it's a lot of explanation. But it's like th- this interview is being done in the middle of October and it's been nine months since the firing, and he seems as aggrieved as ever. Well, and it's also very interesting. I mean, he said he didn't want to take anything away from the Astros. Okay, uh, you kind of did. Like, the, the timing's a little bit weird. It was, it was right after their season. I don't, know what, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish here. Like, I, I, well, he had to do. He has to do some kind what's of interview. The payoff, though. I think he has to do. I mean, I wouldn't have done it that way if I was advising him. But I think he had to. I think he has to do an interview with somebody before he is al- allowed back in baseball or somewhere else. I, like another one or that one. <laughs> Uh, a different kind of interview. But I'm just saying, an interview in general. He has to do an like interview. With like a Carl Ravitch so, or something like that? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I was going to say. Who's who's the guy to go in there? And, I mean, is Luno going to say, okay, yeah, I'll sit down with so-and-so and then let him just fire zingers at me? Because... I mean, Hinch did with Verducci. The, okay. So check check the box as, you yeah. know, an interview and, that he has to do completed. We're not checking that box for Jeff Luno. Well, I mean, he he did it. I just don't think it's going to go over well with I I don't I can't imagine like, if I'm a baseball owner watching that, I'm thinking, "Okay, well, this is clearly somebody who thinks that he has been scapegoated." Like that's that was the theme of the interview. That Jeff Luno was painting himself out to be a scapegoat. I didn't do it. Someone else did, but I had to pay for it. Exactly. That was the clear and distinct impression that you got. So if I'm an owner watching that, I'm like, well, this guy clearly believes that he didn't do it. So he's not really remorseful. So if I'm going to hire him, I'm just hiring him based on how good he is at his job, which I happen to think he is excellent at his uh, job. Yeah, the, the the results would say pretty damn good. $10,000 yeah. for Fromber Valdez. There's really no layer of move that Jeff <laughs> Luno could never made. He made the bar bargain trades he made the bargain signings he made the big splash uh trades Trades. he made the under the radar trades like every every area of being good at your job jeff luna was like there's there's what was his weakness i I can't tell you like he did everything right so you would have to be willing to take it on the chin you would have to be willing to uh You have to really, really, well, because I don't know if he's working in baseball again. I don't know either. At least AJ Hinch, I think, is liked by a lot of people in baseball. Obviously, less so now, but he has a lot of friends in baseball. I don't think Jeff Luno has many friends in baseball. The reputation for Jeff Luno was a negative one around baseball prior to everything that came out about the Houston Astros. Exactly. Yes. And I don't think that changed uh, during this interview whatsoever. I I will say this. I I kind of, even though I'm criticizing him, I kind of respect that he's basically like Jeff is just going to be himself and this is what he's going to do. And he's going to put his resume up there and like, this is what you evaluate him for. So that even though I'm criticizing him, I do have a, I do have some respect that this is just the way that he handles situations.
Obviously, the Astros aren't in it anymore. Jeff Luna's not a member of the Astros. Is George Springer going to continue to be a member of the Astros, Michael? I would be very surprised, particularly after uh, James Click talked Monday and, and he talked about sustainability and the, a lot of focus on like the pandemic and the economic impact. I think he said that it costs Major League Baseball like two and a half to three billion dollars in revenues overall. The way they're talking is clearly setting up a a scenario where they're like setting the stage to prime the fans for like, hey, losing George Springer is what is probably going to happen. It's going to happen and, and it should. I mean, especially knowing that you're going to have to pay Correa uh, after this season, which I don't even think is an option at this point. Um, George is gone. I think Brantley, there's a good chance he's gone. Yep. Uh, and I think your your hope for your outfield is that Kyle Tucker continues to get better. Like if Kyle Tucker continues to progress, then I, th- I think he's an adequate replacement for uh, for one of them. For one of them. And then you'll just have to figure stuff out with the other one. Maybe Alvarez comes back. I don't think he's going to be in the outfield, but from a hitting perspective, he comes back. But yeah, I think George is gone and I think he should be gone. I think I think that's just the business of baseball. Uh, you get guys to perform and, and, and you, you move on and you keep developing, which is something that the Astros really haven't had to do the last four years. But I think George is gone and thanks if, for the memories, buddy. If you told me that signing George Springer cost me the opportunity to re-sign one of the two that is Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers. Yeah. I would probably not be on board with that. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I know we put McCullers and Correa in the same conversation, even though they're not talent level in the same conversation, we would agree Carlos Correa is far better at what he does than what Lance McCullers does, but they just happen to be coming up at the same time. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if I remove the emotion from it and Springer, for, Springer for me has been the heart and soul of the team for the last five or six years, which, which I think people here appreciate, but nationally, I don't think that people really realize, but you're talking about someone who's 31 and I like to sign guys for their prime years. And there's a better chance that the, the best chance is that the Astros got the most out of George Springer than whoever signs him is going to get because he's well, going to be 32, 33, 34. And father time is undefeated. And, and I don't I don't know what the number is. I don't know what the length is, but I would assume it's a lot of money and it's, you know, five, six, seven years. Yeah, I mean, if there's, I want there's almost no contract like that in baseball that is viewed as a good contract. It, for a 30 plus year old outfielder changing teams with the amount of money you're going to pay him, there's almost no contract in baseball that is viewed as a good contract when those are the situations when it's signed. I, yeah, I, I would have to study it to see if that is true and if that is the case. I want to see like what the free agent outfielders are like in 2021 because... I'd like to sign somebody who they can plug into either left or right. I don't know if their plan is to go with Miles Straw in center field. I mean, ultimately, I, like, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be worse. Like, they're going to, like, no matter what they do, if they lose Springer and Brantley, they're going to be worse from a lineup standpoint, and they're going to have to make, make up for it in other areas of the team, bottom line. And I think the way to make up for it is, again, Tucker taking the next step and Alvarez coming back. And I don't know how realistic yeah. number two is. I think I think Tucker's going to be a hell of a player. I think Tucker's going to be a hell of a player, which, my goodness, if, if there's anything gained this year with the injuries and you want to look glass half full, you got a good look at Kyle Tucker, and Kyle Tucker showed you you're very comfortable with him as an everyday outfielder. I don't think you could have said that heading into this season. That's the one thing that's there. As far as Jordan Alvarez, I don't know what to. I don't know what to expect from Jordan Alvarez. I don't know if he's forty-eight years old. I don't know if he's really in his twenties. Uh, two knees out of nowhere. I, well, no position, not, no position either. You know, yeah. that's a tough one. But he, he's only the DH. But the thing is, though, like when he's on, even with the guys that they have and are keeping, he can be their best offensive player. Like that's the offensive he, talent we're talking. Like look, because th- what what he provides, which 
nobody other than Springer, I think, did is just the absolute raw power that would strike fear in the heart of opposing pitchers. So I, I don't think that's one to like downplay. I think I think the way you replace George Springer, Michael Brantley, is having Alvarez come back and play a relatively healthy season at DH. Yeah, even if you told me that he's going to DH for a hundred games the commitment to putting him in those lineups for a hundred games is very small and the potential payoff is enormous. I mean, yeah. is it out of the question that a fully healthy Jordan Alvarez playing a entire season at the major league level is in the conversation for an MVP? I don't think it's crazy. It's not out of the question. Like yeah, he, he, he can MVP hit 40 caliber talent. Yeah. 40, 45 home runs. I mean, that's the, and he walks a lot. He's got, he's got a good approach to the plate. I know he struggled last year in the playoffs, but he eventually kind of turned it now around. Now that's like the best potential outcome, but yes. he, there are lots of other outcomes that are still huge net positives for the Astros. Yeah. I actually think independent of the playoff run, I would have actually said this late September that even though they were disappointing, very disappointing in the regular season, there were a lot of positive developments. Kyle Tucker being the foremost one we talked about. Uh, Frommer Valdez, who was their best pitcher of the whole season. You know, McCullers had, I think, a, a decently successful uh, recovery uh, from Tommy John. And you had a lot of rookies debuting who Open. showed you a lot. Christian Javier, Blake Taylor, Anoli Paredes. Like, there were a, a substantial number of positive developments. Urquidy came back from COVID and pitched pretty well as well. So you have your five pitchers, your starters, heading into next season. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really it, they might have a really really good bullpen. I mean, this the, 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 and I don't know that that would have been possible uh, had they not had to play all these guys sooner than they probably would have liked in like a traditional season. So I think you have that. You have Tucker. Uh, I think Carlos Correa's best baseball could be ahead of him. I think if he continues to progress, we could be talking about one of the five best players in the game. He's still got a lot going on. Altuve the, can still hit. The thought would be Bregman's going to be better next year. Bregman, yeah, he'll be better. Bregman could bounce back. Uh, might be shot. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're still going to have a pretty good team and you're also going to have what we didn't think would benefit the Astros when the, when the, when the announcement was made, uh, but it ended up actually being their saving grace. They're going to have this expanded baseball playoffs for at least one more year. So you're going to be in a situation where I, I think the A's are the better team. I think the A's are going to win the division, uh, but you can get into the playoffs just like you did this year and get hot at the right time. The division is interesting because the A's now, a team that doesn't spend at all, they're going to have some big free agents. Uh, I think Robbie Grossman, Marcus Simeon, who might be their best players of free agents. So they're, they're going to lose some guys off of that team. I agree with Landry. I'd still probably make them the favorite before really analyzing it. But that's a team that will not be as good as it was in 2020. Something we don't to bear see a, in mind. And we don't, it's not like the Rangers are going to make a massive jump. And it's not like the Mariners are going to make a massive jump. Yeah. What's the deal, Landry, with the Rangers? Like, is that team ever going to be good? Like, what's the... <laughs> <laughs> they, they're talking about cheap ownership now out there okay. uh, and they're talking about uh, just not, not very much. No, not very I, much think, I think Seattle will eventually be better because they had, they had some good young talent. They'll have more moving now, forward, but I do think there's potential that finally, you know, maybe a signing here or there, maybe it's another big contract. I do think it's, there's potential that the angels finally put it together. Maybe well, I feel like I've been New saying GM. that for four years. But <laughs> it's again, we talk about you know talk about you know relative you know, potential outcomes. It's not super likely, but it's certainly if this if that team got hot, that's a really tough team that you would have to beat. Where do you think Springer ends up? I think there are only really three teams. What are the teams? I think it's Boston. He's from there. He's from that area ish. The Rangers. 
because they need a splash. Yes. You've mentioned this before. I'm yeah. not, uh, you know, that, that probably wouldn't have been a team that I would mention if they, need, if they got a new ballpark. It. They need, yep. they need to do something. And I think the other one is, is the Mets. Yeah. What I first rich owner. Yeah. I think that rich owner needs rich, a splash. They just, got the just got the staff. team. Yeah. They got, they got a pitching staff. They could, they have some powerful guys, but they could Northeast. Use, so yeah, you'll Northeast. be comfortable, not yeah. New York. So you're not in the spotlight. Well, it's New, it New York. It is New York. Excuse me. Not the Yankees. <laughs> not the Yankees. That's what I meant to say. Not the New York Yankees. So you're not, you know, a number one story every single day. You get to kind of live. That would be yeah. People off with the, the back page. If Springer style with the Mets, those people like those Mets fans would be super excited because they'd feel like, hey, we got a new owner. We're making a big splash. The guys won a World Series. Like plug them into the outfield. Yeah, I would say the Red Sox or the Mets. I I think the dream scenario, but you have a dilemma here, would be bringing back Brantley. But the problem with bringing back Brantley and the problem that the Astros face with Brantley. And they didn't really have to address it this year because Alvarez did get hurt. Is I think he's transitioning towards being a DH. I think I think Brantley at this point is transitioning towards being a DH. And I've talked to Adam Spillane about this. Yeah, the market for the DH is doubled now. Yep, because the National League has a DH now. So it's it's not it's not like where like a, a a DH in the past would only have half the teams to go to. Now the market is doubled, and you would like to see Michael Brantley be in this lineup every day, but if he's going to have to be a DH and then Jordan Alvarez is going to come back, he has to be a DH too. You almost have a tough situation where you have two guys that you really can't play in the field. They, I, I was worried about that this year, I mean, I but guess, they didn't even have to deal with it. I guess what you could say though is that you, you could, if you wanted, if you needed to put one of them into the field. Because like Brantley, I think is fine defensively. It's more just like the wear on, on his body. With Alvarez, I would like to see him get through a few healthy months before I even it's, considered that. It's really... I remember watching a spring training game. Jordan Alvarez was playing left field. Yes. And he made a, like, he ran a huge amount of distance, made like a basket catch, made it look easy. I don't want him running. And, <laughs> you know, we're two and a half years later. You just want him walking, And he didn't basically. have any knees. And, he, you know, like, and he's not going to play first because Yuli's a superior defensive first baseman. I don't, I don't want him at first. I, I, I've been hearing this for 20 years. Like, first base is, is a tough position. But the stick guys in left field. when the second baseman can't throw the ball. Yeah, you, you got to make some picks I, there. <laughs> yeah. I don't want him running. By the way, didn't Kyle, Kyle Tucker pick up a first base glove in spring training? I think he may have. I think yeah. he was working at first a little yeah. bit. So that was a waste of his time. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, he is. Well, that was when that was when you thought you were going to have a full outfield and yes. you were going to have to find ways to get Still him in the lineup. Time. But they were they're they're just trying to find ways to get him into the lineup. But he's an outfielder. But I, I know he was playing a little if, bit of first. If you could give me one wish for this Astros offseason, yeah, my wish would be. Trade for Whitley because I think he sucks. Well, I don't well, know what you can get for him. The, well, that's the problem, though. You're trading so low in terms of where his stock is that it might make sense just to, just to keep fine. him. fine. That guy's not a winning piece. Why is he not a winning piece? Attitude, lack of development, <laughs> inability to make it work when he's clearly talented yeah. and superior to a lot of the players he plays against. I mean, and somehow, he's By the way, was he ever hurt? Or was that just, I mean, because they said that they were, he was getting checked and I never heard anything else about it. Was that just like a cover up for this guy? We're starting like, we have like 10 rookies on the roster and this guy can't even make the team. Was that like some sort of, yeah, we got protected from himself. We, we spent a high trip draft pick on this guy, but the guy we spent 10 K on's a thousand times better. And then the other guy that we spent like 5k on is also a thousand. Three guys who hadn't played above a ball. I think the the fact that they had this many rookies and Forrest Whitley couldn't get in the mix is pretty, if you pretty pathetic, if you told me I had to win a baseball game tomorrow and I get to start Andre scrub or I get to start Forrest Whitley, I'd start scrub. 
Well, of course, because Scrub is much more of a known commodity in your mind. At least you've seen him in some pressurized situations. I wish they I wish they had traded Whitley in the uh, in the Grinky deal because then they'd still have either Martin or Bukowskis. Well, or that's very is. fair. I mean, it, it'll be or beer. It'll be interesting to see what James Click is going to do because we don't really know what he is as a GM. Like the only thing we really know is that he didn't do anything at the deadline, but not a lot of teams did anyway. And so we don't know if he's a good GM or not. He's, we don't, he's we'll gotta, see. He's got to be feeling pretty solid about offering those guys the qualifying offer and getting no and getting the draft pick out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's going to need to happen with Springer and Brantley because this team will need those picks. But, like, we don't know what he what he's like as a GM. So I, I'm fascinated to see what, is, what, what it's going to be like the next couple months. All right, there we go. That's it. That's so how about them Rockets? There. Meltzer's got a take. What's your take? My it's take good enough, is, we'll keep going. Yeah, my take is they are completely ruined, and I think that they should trade Harden because they are so ruined. That's what I come around to. I really don't think that's that hot of a take. It's probably not. I don't know where other people stand up, but I think they're so they're so ruined, and I will miss Daryl, and they will miss Daryl a lot. Daryl basically take. said that he was forced to quit in that statement. How so? It, it just it, it came across as it, this really wasn't his. I don't know about forced to quit, but he was just so miserable he had to quit. So, yeah, so maybe I, just mentally couldn't put up with it. That, that might be the bad terminology. He did not. He, he did not think this was a good situation for him. I think he got out at the right time, and I think that Tillman Fertitta is someone who is very difficult to work for. Why did that Grantland article bring Les Alexander into the conversation about the spending? Yeah, I, I would like to talk to that guy. I think it was Jonathan Ch- uh, Charks who wrote it. I, it was, you know, Les Alexander always wanted a competitive team, and so he didn't really let Daryl fully, like, rebuild and tank. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like the article was too critical of Les, who I don't think really... I don't think he really hampered Daryl in any meaningful way. But Tillman has. Tillman has. And yes. the, the t- trading Tyler in, or James Ennis randomly yeah, and then the Brandon yeah. Knight for the first to get below the luxury tax and then saying it was a coincidence. I, I wonder if Maury just feels weird that he had to lie for Fertitta for the last year. Like that would be very frustrating. I, I know you make a lot of money to lie about those things, which makes it easier. I, I understand that. But yeah, that's got to be tough when it's when it's on your record that you're you're the one making those deals. Yeah, he looked he looked miserable. He looked miserable. But yeah, I'm, I, I think Daryl will do well in whatever his next venture is going no to be. Doubt. No Wait, doubt. So he's going to be like right close to being successful like everybody else wants to be successful, but not quite all the way successful? We shall see. I, I think Daryl will kill it in whatever he does next. I so don't know what that's going to be. Is he going to win a championship in what he does next? Or sure, is why he just going to be like the fourth best team every year? Well, it's it's hard to win a championship, Cody. Not many teams win a championship every year. I understand. It's a high standard. The guy is celebrated like he won a championship and he actually did not. He was not. an innovator. I, I, I think, I he think was that, an innovator. I actually, I said this on Sirius. I'll say this now and you guys can make fun of me. I think what Daryl did in Houston since uh, 07 or 08 is actually more meaningful for the sport of basketball than winning a championship. I'm not saying that fans should be like happy about it because you're a fan. You want to win a title. I get it. But I think that Daryl helped helped revolutionize the entire sports in what he did here the last 13 for years. better or worse, though. I think it depends on who you talk to. And I, I listen to both sides on that. Like, I understand people would say too many teams shoot threes and you look at like the, the, the shot charts and too many teams try to play, try to play the same exact way. Um, but I, I just know that the sport I grew up watching is now completely different now. And Daryl is one of the key figures in that. 
I'm just saying. I, 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 I'm, that, that's hey, that's great for the NBA. But you know what? The Houston Rockets didn't get when Daryl Morey was the general manager. They did not win a title. Exactly. I get that. So so uh, that's cool if you're a Rockets fan that the game was revolutionized, <laughs> but you didn't win a championship. The uh, and the, then you the, complained that the 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 referee screwed well, you that, after. That I will not defend. I will point out that the uh, the national soccer teams in Holland. In the 1970s, total football. God, they, I thought the minor league was bad. Where are we going here? They revolutionized soccer, and they lost to Germany in a couple of All key right. World Cup matches. I'm out. But they were the people's champ. I'm out. People's champ. Okay, well, Remember you know that. But that's okay. That's great. Hold on. Hang with me here. Revolutionized sport. Daryl Morey. Look it up. That's fine. That's fine. The, 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 the Dutch might have revolutionized things. They revolutionized Okay, it. that's great. And they were the people's champ. Yep. You know who is mocked widely outside of Houston? Who? Daryl Morey, because he didn't win. Uh, I don't think that Daryl... Well, I think... I, I don't know that... Da- but I think that people respect Daryl nationally. I mean, he's had like a thousand think pieces written about him in the last week. That's great. But you know what people watched happen? What? They watched another team take his version of basketball, do it better, and win a bunch of championships with it. What about Warriors? Holland soccer, though? Well, I'm just saying that there are parallels to be drawn. But, but I, I disagree <laughs> with Cody's point, though. I think Daryl is highly respect. Like, if you talk to people in you basketball. Respect, winning. Okay, that's fine. But if you talk to people in basketball, they will respect Daryl Morey. That's great. I, he should be respected. Yes. But he should not be respected like a winner. Because he did not win. Well, I know he didn't win. I, I'm not arguing he won a championship because that clearly didn't happen. I think the correct thing that would have happened is if they had won the title in 2018. It didn't happen. And this is the world that we exist in. You just talked about Daryl Morey like a man with no team to a bunch of people who are listening whose team was the Rockets and yeah, they won a championship. But I specifically said that they don't need to take solace in my words. You can you can fan however you want to. And I, I respect that. I'm not going to judge that at all. If people are disappointed by his tenure, that's fine. Um, but I, but yeah, I think it was a super unique run here and I think they'll be far worse without him. I think they are basically ruined for the next five years. Well, I mean, they're not, they're not going to really, they're not going to take the hiring process serious. It's going to be the cheapest guy. I mean, you, you, you see, you see they do? John right Lucas? Now. I mean, they're not, I mean, Tillman Fertitta, his, his main goal is not to win. And I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. He runs it like a restaurant and, and, and that's, that's fine. That's his right. He earned the billion dollars. He's, he's got his name in the, in the business the way he is, but it's going to be run like a restaurant. And I'm saying restaurant like him because that's how he says it. But how is a restaurant not, run? I don't not, even know. Uh, well, well, you're basically trying to save money on napkins. Like, let's say all of a sudden we're getting new napkins and, oh, this napkin costs three cents less than this napkin. Mm-hmm. So you add it up and it all of a sudden the bottom line is touched. Drink instead of three or, of or, or like, oh, this steak is good, but you know what? I can get this steak. Uh, I, I can get a less version of this steak for... 50 cents less an ounce. And that's going to save me over the course of the year, X millions amount of dollars. Uh, that's everyone's replaceable. Like you, you feel like you can well, always replace a manager. I, I don't think but, he respects the game. I don't think he knows the game. But here's the problem though. Tillman's a forward facing guy. He writes a book. He's on CNBC every week. What the hell are these people going to ask this guy? If Tillman is owning a basketball te- team that is irrelevant in its own city for the next five years, is yeah, he just going to stand up there and be it, like, he's well, just going to say know, the bottom line. It's but a at business. the end of the year, it's a business. You're, you're at the, at the end, end of the, the year, basketball team. You got to win. At the end of the year, do you? Is yes. It, is it green or is it red when you look at the profit column? Because I don't. I don't, matters, I don't even know. That's, that's what matters to Tillman Fertitta. Okay. You know, Mark Cuban, his first few years owning the Mavs, like he lost money. 
That doesn't surprise me. Like he me. lost money owning a team, and he was always willing to make trades. He was always willing to take the money. He was always willing to do all that. I know the luxury tax is different. Tillman's not going to do that. This but, is going. This team. This team is going to be run like a restaurant. Okay. And and, and, and the, the the most shocking thing to me uh, is, and I don't know what the buyout was or whatever. He wasn't going to pay someone for. He's not going to fire someone and pay them. He's not yeah, going he wasn't to, going to fire Daryl. The, 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 the contract that he offered Mike D'Antoni is one of the biggest disgraces I've ever seen in my life. How so? He said it was a two-year deal, but there was a club opt-out. Yeah, it and was, there was bad, like that all was this fine. Deal. Like that, that was one of the most... That was a bad I think deal. that was where a lot of people around basketball just realized, man, this guy's a clown. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know how to own a sports team. That, 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 was, that was very disrespectful. And he said, I always like to go year to year with coaches. It's not uncommon. What do you mean it's not uncommon? Give me another example. Yeah, Tillman's a guy who doesn't like some of the standard some of the standards in, in sports. Like I remember at U of H, he did not like this idea that, well, we can just have a coach and they can just leave and go somewhere else and then we get nothing for it. Like he does not like some of the standard operating. Which procedures. is weird because he used to get so he used to get so defensive when you would when you would call U of H like a stepping stone job. Yeah. Like because Bryles worked there, obviously went to Baylor. Then you had Kevin Sumlin go to A and M. Then you had Tom Herman go to UT. And he took such exception with being a stepping stone. That's awesome if you're U of H. If I you're agree. if you're a stepping stone, like that is great. That shouldn't make you that shouldn't make you upset. But he got so he got so fed up with it, and I, I'm just intrigued to see how he's going to run this organization because I think it's I, I think it's going to be a disaster. Uh, I think it's going to be bad. I know he doesn't like. I, I also think, and this is this is where it's going to be real interesting. I don't know what the NBA's labor situation is. He's going to be a pain in the ass during that. I mean, I, I don't think he likes like he even brought up that uh, Harden and Westbrook were going to make X amount of money. And he talks about, yeah, it's guaranteed in our sport. Unlike like he he's going to be a pain in the ass during that. And there's going to be a lot of proposals he's going to throw out that I, I don't know how other owners are going to react to it. Maybe he's going to be the bad guy and be saying stuff that they think. But it's going to be interesting. But he's he's a disaster. I wouldn't want him. I don't lose sleep over teams in this town really winning or losing. Uh, I'd say the Strohs are probably the closest to my heart. Uh, and the Texans, I've just kind of become numb, and I'm just waiting for the for the O'Brien era to be done. I don't lose sleep over the Rockets. But if I did, like if I was like, if, 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 if like I just... If you were a red sleep, rowdy. If I were a red rowdy, I would not want that guy owning my team. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Totally fair. Thanks, Mike. Fair. <laughs>